0: Now, Infotrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Research into plastics containing BPA led to recommendations to avoid using it. But should alternative plastic products be avoided too? Infotrack's Roy Mackey talks to an expert. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Our guest is geneticist Dr. Patricia Hunt of Washington State University. Dr. Hunt, perhaps some people are not familiar with this issue of BPA and the health concerns about it. So just to start out, can you give us kind of a primer of this issue and why BPA is such a concern?
1: BPA is what I think of as the poster child for these types of chemicals that are called endocrine disruptors because they can interfere with our body's hormones. And so these chemicals have raised concern, but BPA in particular has been studied a lot. And so all of the data that's amassed from the many studies of BPA have led to the conclusion that BPA creates some adverse effects, especially on the developing fetus and the developing brain. So in your
0: most recent research, some odd things caught your attention and they eventually raised some really big red flags. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it's kind of a deja vu experience for us because 20 years ago, we stumbled upon a BPA effect in the course of our studies. And we happened to be studying eggs using the mouse as our model. And all of a sudden, all of the eggs from our control females started to look very strange. And we later determined that this was a result of BPA exposure to our animals. Here we are 20 years later, BPA has now become a household word. And we have been studying it for an awful lot of years now and we were conducting some studies to try and really understand exactly how it exerts its effects on the cells we like, which are the cells that will give rise to eggs and sperm. And again, we were in the course of our studies when suddenly the data for our control animals started to look very strange. This time it was replacement bisphenols, those bisphenols that have been created so that we can make BPA-free products.
0: What percentage of us do have detectable levels of BPAs, and I guess now maybe non-BPAs too, in our systems?
1: You know, I would say that we are all exposed on a daily basis, and I really don't think we have unexposed people in the population. It's just too prevalent. Once it has
0: been consumed, can the body eventually flush that out, or is it there for good?
1: No, that's one of the things that's actually been a subject of controversy because, in fact, if you swallow it, your body very rapidly metabolizes it, and it comes out in urine. So your body metabolizes it and eliminates it. And so it's been argued, well, it's not in our bodies long enough to exert an effect. But in fact, that's not what we see based on studies using animal models. And in fact, the route of entry seems to make a difference. So we don't just take BPA and these replacement phenols in through contaminated food and beverages, We actually can take it in through our skin, we can inhale it. So those pressure printed receipts we all deal with on a daily basis and handle, those have a matrix that contains BPA or a replacement bisphenol. And we know that the skin transdermal delivery is an effective way of taking hormones into the system because this is how we deliver hormone replacement therapy for menopausal women estrogen patches that go through the skin.
0: I know we touched on this a bit, but can you just talk a little more about the potential health effects of all these hormonal changes? Because it's actually a multifaceted thing, right?
1: Yes, it is. And it's actually interesting because it depends on the developmental stage of exposure and it depends on exactly where you're looking and what you're looking for. So what we know is that the developing fetus is particularly vulnerable to the effects of these types of chemicals and newborns and adolescents, anyone with a developing brain. But it doesn't mean that adults aren't affected as well. In fact, there was just a study published last week looking at insulin secretion and BPA and suggesting that BPA exposure may set us up for a pre-diabetic type of condition.
0: Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Patricia Hunt from Washington State University, and we're discussing her research that's examining BPA in plastics and finding that the alternatives to BPA maybe aren't any better. So what role do you believe government regulation should play in all of this?
1: I think you're hitting on what right now is the key problem for us, I think most Americans think that our government protects us and if these chemicals are dangerous, certainly they wouldn't be in our environment. But in fact, our ability to assess the risk that these chemicals pose is actually very limited and the tools we use are quite outdated. So it takes a long time and it's very costly to actually examine the effects of these chemicals. And quite frankly, the regulatory agencies simply can't keep up with the new chemicals that are constantly coming on the market.
0: So parents have known for a long time to look for BPA-free products, especially for their small children, but what advice do you have for consumers and especially parents?
1: Well, that BPA-free label is one of the things that bothers me because it's more of a marketing tool than a reality check for parents because... It's not a guarantee that this product is any safer than one that contains BPA because in many cases, most cases, these products are simply being made with replacement bisphenols and the evidence that we and others are gathering suggests that they're no better than BPA. So my first advice is don't believe that marketing label. But the other thing that I would advise is, you know, we think of plastics as things that have permanence in our life. And in fact, our studies have shown us that any plastic that's showing signs of damage, any physical changes, is a plastic that's going to be likely to be leaching the chemicals of which it's made.
0: So as consumers are shopping for plastic items, are there any characteristics, things that they can look out for?
1: You know, I think consumers think they can look for the recycling codes and actually know which plastics are safer than others. And to a certain extent, this is true because some are better than others. But unfortunately, the recycling code for bisphenols and BPA is seven and seven simply means others, other chemicals. So it's not an indication that that product necessarily contains BPA or another bisphenol, but if it does, it would be coated with seven. So in fact, you know, one of the things you can argue is it's time to revamp our recycling codes so that consumers can actually identify bisphenol containing products.
0: My kids and I sometimes have a short conversation in front of the microwave about plastics obviously related to these kind of concerns so let's get it from an expert are any plastics what you would term microwave safe
1: okay well my answer is I don't put any plastics in the microwave and I hope your kids aren't putting them in either you know there are microwavable plastic containers but they're plastic. And one of the things that concerns me is heat is an invitation for chemicals to migrate out of plastics. So I simply, as a rule of thumb, don't put plastics in the dishwasher, and I don't put them in the microwave. So no plastics at all in the dishwasher? Yes. You know, again, it's that repeated use of strong detergents and heat which is going to invite chemicals to migrate out of plastic, And I think over the long term, if you keep washing plastics in the dishwasher, you will see them deteriorate over time.
0: Interesting. Any final thoughts that you'd like to have anyone learn from your research?
1: I guess what I would say is consumers may think that research like mine is going to make change. But I would argue that change comes from consumers. And so if consumers don't like what's going on, they need to ask because that's the way we're really going to get change. So if you don't like the fact that you can't tell where bisphenols are, make that clear. You know, if you don't like the fact that you don't know what products contain bisphenols, like your canned fruits and vegetables, you should also make that clear because consumers get what consumers ask for.
0: So canned items, do they contain these compounds still today?
1: Yes, sadly they do. So this is also part of the BPA-free marketing strategy because you know, there's a resin lining that coats the inside of food and beverage containers. Next time you pop a can of Coke open, you can stick your finger down in there and feel the nice plastic resin along the inside of the container. And what those resin coatings do depends a lot on what types of food these containers have. So, for instance, something that's oily or greasy like a spaghetti sauce is going to tend to pull more of these chemicals out of the resin and into the canned foods. In many cases, these cans have BPA-free labels on them. But unfortunately, as with other plastic products, these are likely to simply be replacement bisphenols that have been put in place of BPA but are not necessarily going to be any different than BPA in terms of how they act in our bodies.
0: That's certainly eye-opening research. Dr. Patricia Hunt from Washington State University, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm
1: Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.